Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to be in verse 12 through verse 16 this morning. 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. We had a great time Friday night at the father-daughter dance here at the church. And so uh, we did cut a little rug. Whoop, whoop, whoop. It was really fun. One of the best parts was Pastor Robert Beach was the DJ this year. He was Pastor Beats instead of Pastor Beach Friday night. So it's a really fun time. So thank you everybody that put that on. Let's read from verse 12 down to verse 16 and pray together. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things, give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for your love for us. We celebrate the fact of your goodness, your faithfulness, your power, that your, chan- your plan cannot be changed or altered. And we ask as we study your word that you would stir us up, that you would cause us to rise up into the calling that you have for us. Please pour out your spirit upon this time. Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Throughout the scripture, we see God using young people, him using youth. Joseph was a young man, and God used him to save his family that became the nation of Israel. Joshua, as we turn the page, going into the promised land, a young man that was raised up to lead the children of Israel. A young woman by the name of Esther at a crossroads of her people stood up for such a time as this. Jeremiah receives the call of God to be a prophet as a youth to the point where he's fearful. God has to exhort him. Daniel with his three amigos, his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and a Big Mac, right? (laughs) Stand strong for the Lord as their captives in Babylon. As we come into the New Testament, God continues to raise up young people to do his work. Timothy is one of those men. He's a young man pastoring. Paul is encouraging him during a time of discouragement. Not only in biblical history, but also in church history, God has worked powerfully through young people. Charles Spurgeon started pastoring at age 16 years old. Think about what the average 16-year-old was doing. That's when Charles Spurgeon started being a lead pastor. At age 20, he was pastoring the largest church of England at the time. Evan Roberts at age 13 began to pray for the country of Wales, his home country. In 1904, he saw one of the biggest revivals that that country has ever known. Bob Jones, who started Bob Jones University, he started preaching at age 13, pastoring at age 16. His first year of pastoring, he saw 400 people come to know Christ as their savior. Vance Havner was known as the boy preacher. Age nine, began sending sermons to the local newspaper, was licensed to preach at age 12, was ordained at age 15, had 80 years of teaching and preaching God's word. 
Billy Graham gave his first message when he was 19 years old. It's estimated that he's taken the gospel to 90 million people in hundreds of different countries. Johnny Erickson Tata was 17 years old when she got in a tragic car accident and became paralyzed. What was on her mind as she was being rushed to the hospital is the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. Through that accident, the Lord raised up a young lady to speak to a generation. Not only in biblical history, church history, but also just in the world. We look at what's happening in the world today and young people are leading a movement. I was reading an article about a young man who was homeless, desired to go to college, so he started an online campaign and he had all of the money come in for him to go to college. It was called Homeless to Howard. That was the name of the university that he was going to. Another article of a young man in Philadelphia who was obese and he decided to do something about it. He didn't have access to good food. There was a vacant lot in his neighborhood. He began to farm. He made the commitment to only eat what he grew, and he lost 150 pounds. And in the process, he started a nonprofit organization. The one thing with his organization is it's all youth-led. Another young man I was reading about started a company at age 13. He's now 15. This year, the company did $3.5 million in business. It was a tech company. The revolution that took place in Egypt was started by young people. If you're a young person this morning, this message is for you. God wants you to engage with him and engage in the calling that he has upon your life. The message to Timothy, the message to you is rise up. Rise up and take your place. But it's also a challenge to all of us, no matter what age we are, to enter into the calling that God has for us. Let's look in verse 12. It says this, Let no one despise your youth. As Timothy is pastoring in Ephesus, he took over for the apostle Paul. The apostle Paul was about 70 years old. It's thought to be that Timothy was in his early 30s. This phrase, youth, and their culture, it referred to someone up to the age of 40. You were still considered to be a youth until you hit that age of 40. So that puts it a little bit in perspective. Could you imagine being the young pastor that has to take over for the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul is the great theologian, the great church planter, this man of God, this man of prayer. Then you have Timothy, who just started shaving twice a week, whether he liked it or not, right? And here's this church of Ephesus going, this is quite a change. We had the apostle Paul, now we have Timothy. Timothy's allowing it to get in his head. He's thinking, I can't pastor these people because of my age. And God's now exhorting Timothy, saying, no, don't allow anybody to look down on you because of your youth. This is your time to step up and lead the people of God. When it comes to God's calling, age is not a factor, whether it's young or it's old. It doesn't matter to God. He's looking for someone who's available, who is willing. Maybe it's the fact that you're young, you're thinking God can't use you. Maybe it's that you're old and you're thinking that God can't use you. And you're saying, well, I can't relate to this younger generation that's coming up. That's not true. It doesn't matter if you're young or old or somewhere in between. Maybe it's some personal insecurity that you have, something about your personality. You say, well, I'm an introvert and God's calling me to do something that's bold and stepping out and reaching to people. 
or I'm a real people person, but yet God's calling me to devote myself more to prayer. See, those aren't the factors. This verse, verse 12, is telling us don't allow what other people think about you to keep you from the call of God. Even if people in this church thought that Timothy wasn't too, was too young, that wasn't to stop him and what God had put upon his heart. So if you're young, don't let that stop you. And also for us who aren't so young, what's our perception of young people, especially inside of the church of God, especially inside of the family of God? Do we see that God's call upon their life and do we come alongside them or do we look down upon them because of their youth? Continuing in verse 12, it says, but be an example to the believers. Age is not a factor in God's calling, but character is, character is. And if you're a young person, hopefully you've got your attention. And please hear this. Is there something that's happening amongst young people where you feel entitled to things just because you're young? And so we see kind of responsibility waning, but entitlement increasing. Does that make sense? So we've got this generation that kind of walks into an older generation and says, you should listen to me and you should do it my way because I'm young. And that's not what God is teaching Timothy. He's saying, look, don't let anybody despise your youth, but the way that you're going to be heard is through your character. So if you're young and you want someone to hear you, you want someone to follow you, you want someone to take your input, then earn the right to be heard through being an example. I think of growing up, all the things that I thought about my parents, all the things that they were doing wrong, all the things that they could do, do better, and it's amazing, the older I get and the older my kids get, the wiser my parents become, right? So as you approach leading as a young person, don't leave out the importance of character. And we have a list that God gives to young people to apply themselves to, but it's definitely applicable for people of all ages. Maybe you've heard this quote, that youth is wasted on the young. And I like that. A lot of times we can relate to that. We go, all the energy, all the excitement, it's wasted upon the young but it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. God doesn't want youth to be wasted. He wants it to be used for his glory. This is how, as someone applies themselves in character. First area is in word. Timothy is to be a man whose word is wholesome. The speech, the things that come out of his mouth, that it points to Jesus Christ. If we were to take the words that we spoke and rewind throughout this week, how convicting would it be, right? And those are the things that God wants to refine. These are things in Timothy's character. They're actions that could be seen. People could listen to Timothy and they go, this young man's different. He speaks different. He speaks the things of Christ. He's an encourager going on in conduct, Timothy's conduct. What were his actions? Where was he Friday night? Was he a man of prayer? Was he a man of the word? Was he generous? Was he kind? Or was... His conduct and his action, one that is sinful. In love, Timothy's to be one who's a loving man, is an example to the believers in the way that he loves God and he loves others. It doesn't matter about gifting and talent if you don't have love. You may be the most gifted and the most talented person, but if you don't have love, you're just gonna be a clanging symbol 
to the people that you're sharing with. And that would be the case for Timothy. He was to be an example in his love for God and his love for people. A great prayer for us is to say, God, would you make me a more loving person? Would I have a greater heart for the things that you care about? I like this in spirit, in spirit, in passion, in zeal. Timothy was to have a contagious spirit as a pastor. We think of leadership, and in any way, shape, or form of leadership, in the workplace, in the home, in the church, the leaders become the thermostat for the overall environment. As we are still in the winter season, where do you set your thermostat? Some of you are the 58 degrees. You're saving some money on the utilities. You're the frozen chosen. You really are. But then others of you are like, I'm setting my thermostat for 70 degrees. I don't care what it costs me. I'm going to be comfortable. Nonetheless, there is a temperature that is set on the thermostat. And Timothy's spirit sets that overall environment in the church. If Timothy's always discouraged, if he's always complaining, if he's always in a bad mood, then that sets the overall environment for the church. But if he's passionate, if he's got a zeal, if he's excited, if he's ready to take those steps of faith, then that's gonna be contagious as well. Young people, one of the best things that you can do for the body of Christ is have a zealous spirit. It has a spirit that comes alongside of people of all ages and says, come on, let's go for it. Your youth is gonna be invested somewhere. Why not invest it in the people of God? This church, we need young people to come stir the pot from time to time and say, you know what, let's try this. Let's do this inside of the word of God, inside of the scriptures, but also in faith. Timothy was to be an example of faith, of trusting God, trusting that the Lord has the situations that we're going through in life. Such a simple thing to say, isn't it? Trust, but this morning, we all have something that we need to trust God with. And it can be difficult to let go and put it into God's hands. And this is a way that Timothy was to be an example. The last is impurity, impurity. Timothy was to be a man of purity. As a young person, this is probably the greatest way that you're gonna stand out in your generation is through sexual purity in your action of sexual purity. We go back to the Old Testament, we do look at Daniel, we look at Joseph, and they were both men of sexual purity. Both had been taken away from their family, put into foreign countries, Egypt for Joseph, Babylon for Daniel. They both purposed in their heart purity before the temptation came. Joseph's a slave in Potiphar's house, must have been a handsome young man. Potiphar's wife says, I wanna sleep with this guy. She probably thought this is going to be easy pickings. He's a young man away from his family. This is going to be easy. She tries to seduce Joseph. Joseph runs for his life. Why? Because he'd purposed in his heart beforehand, before the temptation, a life of purity. So important for all of us. This generation, 18 to 30, 14 to 30, even elementary kids are facing a whole nother realm of sexual temptation that we didn't have when we were growing up as kids. I am so thankful as a 12-year-old boy that I did not have a smartphone in my pocket that could lead me to pornography with one click of the button. That's a whole lot of temptation for a 12-year-old boy to have to face. And you better believe as a parent, he's gonna be curious about those things at 12 years old, 13 years old. 
Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and how that just leads. They, they market us in that way to try to lead us into sexual sin. So you gotta think of that ahead of time and what are you gonna do when that image comes up, when that video says, come click on this. Gotta decide now to say, I'm gonna flee sexual temptation. The whole atmosphere of our schools and our colleges is one of sexual perversion and you've gotta choose now and say, I'm gonna live for Christ in my sexual purity. All generations, all ages, sexual purity is a megaphone of God's power in our life. We can't do it on our own. But when we choose to walk in purity, relying on his power, it gets people's attention. So a young man who grew up in our church, he's gifted in athletics, in both basketball and football, 6'6", offensive lineman, Coronado High School, ends up getting a full ride to the University of Wyoming, then gets drafted by the 49ers. Ultimately, it didn't work out with the 49ers, but great athletic career. You know the decision that he made? He chose to be a virgin. He chose sexual purity and he wasn't ashamed of it as he went through high school and he went through college. Could you imagine how much he stood out at the University of Wyoming as a football player, as an offensive lineman and he said, I'm choosing to wait for my spouse. And God blessed him. God blessed him with a wonderful wife, met his wife there at the University of Wyoming. They got married this last summer Amber and I were able to do their premarital counseling, and they chose to not kiss, to not kiss each other until their wedding day. That, they got made fun of. They got ridiculed, but it also got the attention of their friends. There was people joining in through FaceTime and Skype because this was such a special occasion. Now Kyle teaches high school in Iowa, high school football, PE coach, and these young men that surround him are so intrigued by his story, he appears to be a dinosaur to them. They're like, you did what? You waited till when? And if you choose that road of sexual purity, it is gonna be a megaphone to a lost and dying world. I wish that young people would understand, I think sometimes in our high school years, college years, 20s, you think sexual temptation is gonna go away once you get married. That that's gonna be the fix-all to all sexual temptation. It doesn't work that way. Sexual temptation continues on when you're married, and so the life of purity that you're living now, you're building in a discipline that's gonna be a blessing to God and a blessing to your spouse. You don't wanna wait till you get married to then try to reverse everything and develop a life of purity. Some of you are saying, well, well, Eric, it's too late. It's too late. I've already blown it. I've already given myself away time and time again. I, I've got a real habit of pornography now. It, it does go back to when I was 12 years old, and now I'm 22 years old, and as hard as I try, I continue to fail, and to be honest, I don't see the point in even trying to apply myself to purity. The blood of Jesus, we're going to celebrate communion at the end of service, and the blood of Jesus was spilled to purify us, and the purity is not found in us, it's found in Jesus, and as you turn to him in confession and forgiveness, he makes you pure, and it means something to him, it's going to mean something to your spouse when you say, you know, at this point in my life, this is the way that I was living, but I chose a different direction. It also applies to us that aren't necessarily in this youth category. If purity is good for our sons, if it's good for our daughters, it's got to be good for us this morning. 
We can't just preach it to our kids. I got three young daughters growing up in my home and I'm passionate about their purity. And if I want to be passionate about their purity, I better be passionate about my own purity and allow the Lord to work in that way. The life of Jesus Christ seen in our actions, being an example to the believers. Verse 13, till I come give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. These are the things that Timothy's supposed to focus on as a pastor. I think they're timeless truths for any church and they're also very applicable to our lives as believers. The first thing that Timothy's to do is reading, the reading of the scriptures. This seems so old-fashioned. Some would say it's not relatable, but Timothy was to do this as a pastor. Open your Bibles and read God's word. What should you be looking for in a church? You should be looking a church where you're encouraged to bring your Bible, read your Bible, open your Bible. There's different approaches to teaching verse by verse like we do here where we're going through a book of the Bible. On Wednesday nights, we're going through the entire Bible. This Wednesday night, we're starting the book of Acts, a great time to come and join us. There's also topical teaching. And that's where a pastor may say, open your Bibles. We're going to look at what God has to say about forgiveness this morning. Both are good. Both have their place. But the important thing is it's not the pastor's opinions, ideas, but it's based on, it's an explanation of God's word. He's reading God's word. If you're going to church, you don't want a church where the pastor stands up and says, we're going to talk about forgiveness this morning. This is what Dr. Phil says about forgiveness. Now that has its place, but we have a higher authority than Dr. Phil. We can go to the word of God. That's what makes this different is because we're studying what God's word has to say. God's word should be read corporately, but also individually. This is the best habit that we can have as believers is consistently reading God's word. Genesis to Revelation, pick a book of the Bible, start in the book of Mark if this is a new practice for you, but read the whole book of Mark and then keep going after that. Pray before you start reading that the Holy Spirit would teach you. Get a pencil where you're ready to underline and write in God's word, a journal to write down verses, to write down questions. God's word's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. We're washed through the water of the world, the word Do you ever feel dirty from just living in this sinful world? There's this yuck and this junk upon your your soul. It can even be as simple from watching the news and at the end of watching the news, you're like, man, I just just feel kind of grimy, you know? You do go check your Facebook page and by the time you're done, you're just like, man, that wasn't very edifying. That wasn't very encouraging. It's the word of God. The word of God will wash our souls Sometimes even when we don't understand everything that's being said, we walk away and we go, I'm refreshed. Reading the word, but also exhortation. This would be hard for Timothy as a young pastor, but he was to encourage people to take steps that they didn't want to take on their own. We all need that from time to time. We all need someone to exhort us and say, you're being a little bit passive. You're being a little bit timid. You've been saying this over and over and over again that you're gonna take action. Now's the time. You need to do it. Timothy needed to exhort, but he also needed to give heed to doctrine. Doctrine is who God is, how we're saved, how he wants us to live our lives. As we read the word, as we go through the word, we need to be pointing out this is who God is. This is how God describes himself. These are attributes of God. The most important thing about you 
is what you believe about God. And so Timothy's to focus upon these things are good things for us to focus on as well. Verse 14, do not neglect the gift that's in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. As Timothy was commissioned as a pastor, the elders got together and they prayed for him. They laid hands on him. And in that prayer, God responded and gave a gift to Timothy. In this discouragement, Timothy is thinking about neglecting the gift, the call that God had put on his life. He seems to already have the resignation letter in his desk. He's already written the email, and all he has to do is hit send to the Apostle Paul. This isn't working out. Every time I get up to teach your word, everybody looks at me like a little kid. I'm really not in the place to be able to exhort anybody to do something that they don't want to do on their own. And here's the Holy Spirit speaking to Timothy saying, don't neglect your gift. Maybe you can relate. You're discouraged. You're discouraged in something God's called you to, the workplace. You know the jobs from the Lord. You know God's using you in the lives of people, but you're like, forget this. I'm not gonna use my gifts in this place. Maybe it's a difficult season with a son or a daughter. You're saying, I'm not gonna give myself entirely to this task of being a pastor. Maybe you've been called to serve here at the church in a particular way. You're just in the back of your head, you're just thinking someone else could do this better. And God says, don't neglect your gift. Because see, gifts are given to be received and used. I'm gonna share a story a bit about my family growing up, and I don't share it to dishonor or bring shame to, to my family. So God's really worked in this particular situation, but when I was growing up, there was a broken relationship between my grandma and two of my uncles, and then especially my one uncle, and then that kind of spread over into my dad's relationship with my uncle. My dad was the first one to receive Christ in his family, My uncle got really upset with my dad because my dad shared Christ with him and shut my dad out of his life. So I never saw my uncle growing up till I was in my 20s. The only time I saw my uncle was at a gas station when we were visiting my grandparents in his hometown. He says, there's your uncle. And we talked briefly for just a couple minutes and I can go, wow, this is really weird. This is really awkward. And even as an elementary kid, I could pick it up. But there was one Christmas, my parents decided we're gonna reach out to this uncle. We're gonna send their family some Christmas gifts. And about two weeks later, the Christmas gifts got sent back, unopened. My dad's very even keeled with his emotions. So dad could be having like a great day and things are awesome, it's his best day ever, and you're like, Dad, how's it going? Good. And a terrible thing could happen, you'd be like, Dad, how you doing? Good. And he could just, same thing. You know, I think his emotional range is like, boop, 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 you know. But this was one time I could see that it really hurt him. And thankfully, God restored that relationship, and my uncle's now a part of our lives, and God's been very gracious in that situation. But the hurt in my dad's heart when that gift wasn't received and used, and how much in the father's heart when you say, no, thank you, when I say, no, thank you. Ultimately, I think it's selfishness. The gifts aren't given for us. They're not made for us to feel good. The natural gifts that God's given, the spiritual gifts that God's given, they're given for God's glory. They're given for the edification of believers. They're given to use a lost and dying world. So when we use those gifts, then God is glorified. 
So look at your life. May we look at our lives and say, God, I want to be used by you in every aspect of my life. I like the way that this is put. Be a quarter in God's pocket that he can spend any way that he'd like. So you go to work tomorrow morning and say, God, I'm yours. I want to be used by you. We go home after the service, God, I'm yours. I want to be used by you. We engage in the body life of this church and say, God, I want to be used by you. We don't want to neglect the gifts. In verse 15, meditate on these things, give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Timothy needs to stop and think about what he's been taught, meditate upon it, then give himself entirely to it, to being an example, to reading and exhortation and doctrine, to not neglecting his gift. And it seems like Timothy's just kind of standing at the shores. Even though he's doing the task outwardly, he hasn't given himself to the work that God has given to him. So he's saying, I'm gonna give myself entirely to it. He'll meditate, give himself entirely over to God, The progress of his spiritual growth, of his godly example, is going to be seen by all. And instead of people looking at Timothy and going, oh, he's just a young whippersnapper, they begin to see a godly man that they're willing to follow. The same is true in our lives. If we'll meditate upon these things, give ourselves fully to these things, the progress is going to be seen. The spiritual growth is going to be seen. Verse 16, take heed to yourself and to doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. The first task for Timothy is not to worry about the spiritual condition of the church in which he's pastoring, but to make sure that his own heart is right with the Lord. Inside of all of us, we have a tendency to worry about everybody else's relationship with God. How's my spouse doing? How's my kids doing? How are my Christian friends doing? My brothers and sisters in Christ doing? Nothing wrong with that. But if we never stop to look at our own heart, we're gonna miss something. We can see the speck in somebody else's eye, but miss the log in our own eye. So Timothy, this is a lifestyle of self-examination where he takes heed to himself. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all diligence because out of it flows the issues of life. Where's your heart this morning? Where's my heart this morning? If it's in the wrong place, getting right with the Lord. Also doctrine. What is Timothy sharing with others about God, about salvation, about how God wants us to live our lives? And Timothy needs to make sure that he also receives it. That he doesn't just share it, but he receives it and allows it to impact his heart and his life. True story, there was a family Their house caught on fire. Their dog in the backyard began to bark, bark, and bark. It was the barking from the dog that woke them up. It saved their lives. Unfortunately, the dog was locked in a kennel there in the backyard and died in this fire. Tragic. We don't want our bark, our voice, to save others as we speak of Christ but yet not following Christ ourselves, not allowing those words to impact us first. So what does this text tell us? What have we seen this morning as we've studied these things? First, it tells us age is not a factor, but character is. Age is not a factor, but character is. It doesn't matter if you're 25 or 55, God wants to use you. 75, but God wants us to apply ourselves to character. Is there an area of your character that stood out this morning as we went through that list that God's challenging you in? 
in word, in love, in spirit, in purity, allowing God to do a work in our character. Have you guys seen the giant erasers that are at the back of the doors of the sanctuary? They're there. And when we walk out of church, they go whoop, whoop, and we get in the car. And then, hey, how'd you like church this morning? Yeah, it was good. What do we talk about? I don't know. I have no idea what we talked about. And then by Tuesday, like Tuesday night, we're starting to think about church. And it's like, I know I was there, but I don't really remember anything that we talked about. And that's why we need to have takeaways, things that we take with us to we apply. We, we write down, we pray about it. Okay, God, this is an area of my character that you want to work on. So I'm going to meditate upon it. And then this, alert for our attention. Alert for our attention. Pretend like this is a text in your pocket, okay? Are you one of those people that your phone vibrates on the counter and you can be in the middle of a conversation and you're like, You know, it gets your attention, right? So pretend like this is a text. This is an alert for your attention. What are you to focus on? You're to focus on the reading of God's word. How are we going to invest our time this week? Between this Sunday and next Sunday, we've got seven days, 24 hours each day. Are we going to read the word of God? There'll be a spiritual attack. It'll be challenging, but it'll be worthwhile. Make sure that we make time to be in God's word. Gifts aren't to be neglected. Maybe that's for you this morning. This text tells us that. And then God wants all of us. He wants us entirely. We're gonna take communion in just a moment. We're gonna be served in communion. But before we do that, I want your attention. And if I could speak to you, if you're 30 and under, you're 30 and under. My first thing to tell you is if you're 30 or under, is just enjoy it because it's not going to last very long. (laughs) Before you know it, your 20s, your your teens, they're they're in the rear view mirror. This strange thing is happening to me. There's white in my beard. I'm like, what has gone on here? This has never been there before. It'll fly by. And you've been given something that's a tremendous opportunity from God and it is your youth and if you will choose to be an example to the believers don't let anybody look down upon you because of your youth but rise up and take your place inside of God's plan we need you we need you in this church we need you loving Christ we need you serving we need your vision we need your ideas but more than anything else God desires your heart He desires your character. He desires your life entirely. We live in some crazy times. They're very dark spiritually. But I'm encouraged because this is why always in dark days, God raises up powerful servants of his. And God's not done raising up Spurgeons and raising up Billy Grahams and raising up Esthers and Josephs and Daniels. And you're here and now's your time. Now is your time to say, I'm following Jesus Christ. I'm taking my place inside of the family of God. Go for it and go for it with all of your might. May we as a church always have a heart for the young people in our church. And as the Holy Spirit leads you, encourage them. If you sit around some young people every week, get to know them and say, I'm so glad you're here. What's going on in your life? If you have elementary age kids, they're studying the same section of scripture 
as we are this morning. They just heard this message. Talk about it with them this afternoon and encourage them. God's got a plan in your life. And you know what? If you decide to follow Christ in third grade, look out. Think about an eight-year-old over in children's ministry. 30 years, how many of us will be home with the Lord and they're only 38 years old? They could have 30 years of serving Jesus Christ. Revivals have been started by young people. And so may we encourage them, may we come alongside of them, but also not undermine what God may have for our lives. It's never too late. It's never too late to jump in to his plan. So let's pray and prepare our hearts for communion. Father, we do ask that you would pour out your spirit.